Hi, survivors. This is Annie Allen, and we're back. Starting Over Stronger, Divorce Survival and Recovery is here today with a concept that is relatively new to me in some ways and something I've always known in other ways. What you say matters as much as how you say it. And today's guest is a former attorney and mediator who is the chief strategy officer for Support Pay. If you haven't heard of it, like I hadn't, it is an app that makes the transfer of child support funds simpler, fostering a more positive environment between co-parents. And who doesn't need that? With her strong background in the legal process of divorce, I feel like I can venture a pretty strong guess that Erica England is passionate about smoothing out the co-parenting process, having taken everything she's learned as an attorney and a mediator and applying that to the only app I'm aware of, of its kind, that helps solve what I feel like is probably the main problem that co-parents have, money. And I just know that she believes that better people deserve a better divorce, and she's devoting her life to that goal. She's also a solo parent to a couple of delightful children and happily co-parents with their amazing dad. And she does add, usually, she's not perfect. (laughs) And today, we're going to talk about a concept from Erica's passion that actually is what connected her and I. I read an article that she wrote on LinkedIn about how to swap language that you use about your divorce and with your soon-to-be ex or former ex, as I guess we will learn how (laughs) to call them, and why it's important to do so. Welcome to the Starting Over Stronger Show, where you'll find help and hope for your divorce survival and recovery. Divorce well, live well. So hello and welcome to the show, Erica. It is lovely to be with you. Thank you so much. I have to begin by telling you that I've been in the legal world for 15 years. So everyone I know, from my children's teacher to the soccer coach to our maintenance worker, comes to me when they need a divorce and they don't know where to start. And I always tell people to start with a divorce coach. Awesome. To me, is one of the most underutilized tools and I am so grateful to be here with you and your audience. Well, thank you. I appreciate that very much. Would you start by telling us a little bit about yourself? Of course. Like you said, I am a former attorney and mediator. My first five years were in family law litigation, and I never won a case once, meaning sometimes I lost. Most of the time we settled, but in family law, those of you that have been through the process, you know that lawyers call it a good settlement when both people are equally unhappy. And that is just not a win, right? Yeah. And and then sometimes I would technically win, the judge would rule in my favor. And it just, I looked at how much it costs and the destruction of it. And I thought that's not really a win. So after five years, I walked out of court and built a mediation practice ground up and spent thousands, over 7,000 hours privately negotiating divorces. Very good. That's what really changed my perspective on law and on life. And I'm divorced myself. I'm still going through my divorce seven years later. I think it's not so much a one-time event as it is an entirely new lifestyle. 
Yeah, you're right about that. Well, thank you for sharing. And thanks again for being here to bring our listening audience some insight on how their words matter as they speak about their divorce and the people involved in it. I, of course, invited you on the show because I was moved by this article that I read uh, that you had posted on LinkedIn about language swaps. And I can't wait to share this concept with our listeners. So first of all, why don't you start with just telling us in general about the concept of swapping language and why it's important to you? Of course. So often we're concerned about how we present to people. But one of the things that we don't think about is how the specific words that we choose are impacting not just our interaction with those people, but really how we're thinking about ourselves and constructing our inner monologue. When I started training as a mediator, one of the first things that they have us do in mediation training is to learn how to use a skill called reframing. And it's where you take a sentence that someone says, usually in a negative tone, and you translate that sentence into a neutral statement. So for example, um, my ex-husband works all the time, doesn't even know our children, refuses to actually be a parent. And the mediator would say something to reframe that, like you're concerned that all the time that your former husband spends at work interferes with his ability to really be present at home. So this skill in reframing is taking the negativity out of a sentence and making it neutral so that the other person hears it. What I learned in mediation training is that really language is three things. It is a tool, it is power, and it is insight. So if we can examine the language we use more closely, we're going to have a really powerful tool and really great insight in all of our interactions, personal and professional. Now I'm a language swap junkie and <laughs> happy to be here sharing some of my favorites. Awesome. So what would you say is the biggest difference it makes to those who embrace the concept of paying attention to the words you use as it affects you and the people who hear you? Other people hear you better. And the reason that they hear you better is because you're targeting your language in a way that's not going to be as abrupt, as upsetting, or as distinct to the person who's hearing it. The reason that we're communicating with someone is because we want them to hear what's on our mind. They can't read our mind. Mm -hmm. I so wish people could. But actually, on second thought, I'm really glad people can't. I was going to say, I've always said, I'm so glad our thoughts are not audible. <laughs> um, so we, we've got to get what's in our brain out to other people in a way that expresses what we want to express, but they're only going to hear it if it comes across the right way. And if we want people to hear us, then we've got to be careful in how things come across. And that's where language swaps come in. Also, I think they really change our, our inner monologue. They really change the way that, that we think about things when we start using different language with ourselves. Yeah, I agree. Totally. That's one of the concepts I work on my with my divorce coaching clients is just the words that you say to yourself and about yourself. And obviously, that's true to and about others is so important in framing the way that you think about yourself and therefore the way you feel about yourself and the way you act. It's all kind of a chain reaction 
action. So it's extremely important. And I was just curious if you maybe have a story that you could share anonymously, of course, of someone that this concept has made a radical difference for some kind of a drastic change took place for the good. Hopefully you have a whole lot of them, but. <laughs> I, I have so many. I, I, I'll give you something general and then something quite personal and specific. Generally, what I noticed as a mediator was that people would come in very high emotion in their process and they would be full of the words that we hear all the time in divorce, ex, custody, um, summons, petition, settlement, lawyers. And by the time I worked my language swap magic on them, they would talk about their process, leaving it in absolutely opposite tones. They would be talking about resolution, moving forward, completing paperwork. They had just a level of engagement with the process and a level of respect for each other going out that they didn't have coming in. I saw that over and over and over. Personally, I'm single myself and I dated someone for a bit over a year, maybe about a year and a half. Uh, who had a fairly high conflict relationship with his former wife. And you know these people, they're the people that say, I don't have a high conflict relationship. I just refuse to speak to this person at all. Mm -hmm. That's the high conflict relationship. And they were engaged in something called parallel parenting with their child, which is where the parents are unable to effectively communicate. So the child lives in two completely different worlds, one with mom, one with dad. And there's different rules in each household. Mom will take the child on vacation and dad doesn't even know where they're going. There's no cross communication between the parents because they're unable to communicate. And this is a sign of a high conflict relationship, but it actually is like a fairly healthy way to manage a high conflict relationship because without interactions, there's not conflict in front of the child. Yeah. So he had always referred to my ex, my ex, my ex, my ex. And every time I had a conversation with him, I referred to her as his former wife. Like I refer to my husband as my former husband. Mm -hmm. The reason why I do this is I actually heard on national public radio years ago when I was a baby lawyer, the difference between former military and ex-military is that former means someone was honorably discharged and ex-military means somebody was dishonorably discharged. Okay. So I left that in the back of my mind. And when I started mediating, I swapped my language. Instead of using X, I started using former because to me, it conveys whether or not someone deserves it. It conveys that they were honorably discharged. And it also conveys that you were honorably discharged yeah. from that relationship. Like we have a former president and a former Miss America. We have former spouses. So after using this language for a year with my then boyfriend, not really seeing too much of a change, we broke up, but we had reconnected a few months later just to chat about how things were and how we were how we were doing. And he told me a story about how his former wife had had another child. He went to visit her in the hospital and took his child and they held the baby. And it was this great experience. And it was the first time that I heard him use the word former ever. And he used it in this context of 
by that point, really having softened his relationship with her. So I don't know if it's the word that did it or he softened his relationship and it was easier to use that word, but you really see changes in people when you see changes in their language. Yeah, for sure. Now, did you ever have a conversation with him about why you were using the word former when he was using the word ex or you just continued to use it and allowed it to just kind of maybe settle into his subconscious? (laughs) We spoke about it very early on because often when I will refer to my former, people don't know what I'm talking about. And then they say, oh, your ex. And I say, yes, my former husband. And people will typically ask, why do you say former? And I say, doesn't it just sound like a nicer word than ex? To me, it sounds nicer. I don't try to preach the whole thing, but that's generally how I explain it to people. And that was the extent of the conversation. So it was just that. And then hearing it for a year, Annie, and it's finally sunk in. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's good. Very good. Well, now speaking as a former attorney and mediator, what kinds of scenarios would you say most desperately need language swaps? That's a great question. Lower conflict divorces probably benefit the most from language swaps. And that's counterintuitive, right? Because you yeah. one, one would think if it's a high conflict divorce, then language swap should have a lot of power. But in a lower conflict divorce, we have people that want to get along, be kind and respectful to each other. If they don't have a continued relationship, maybe they're still working together as parents. And they don't actually have the vocabulary that they need to speak to each other in terms that really define their relationship. They want to call each other something nicer than X or refer to their children's arrangements as something nicer than custody, Mm -hmm. but they don't really have the language to do it. So in lower conflict divorces, actually what I see is it gets people out of using legal terminology and loaded language and into using language that's more friendly, colloquial, and more descriptive of this relationship they have. So they talk about their parenting arrangement, not their custody arrangement. And that's just one example of the simple change that it can make. Mm -hmm. Now, in higher conflict divorces, language swaps are important, but I think it has less of an impact because they're surrounded by a lot more emotion. And the impact maybe comes later. The way it came later for my former boyfriend, it came a year after hearing it. Yeah, right. And you know, there's so much emotion and overwhelm during the divorce. I wonder, um, do you have situations where you you have high conflict uh, couples where you're still able to get them to understand this concept. And even in spite of all the anger and emotion, they're able to, uh, I guess, at least understand it and try to implement it. Or are there people, you know, because it's high conflict where they're just like, I don't care. I'm not doing that. It's stupid. (laughs) And then maybe they later, you know, once all the emotion comes down, maybe realize that that would probably be a good thing to do. There are both. To speak to the former, one of the words I love that works exceptionally well in high conflict and lower conflict divorces is resolution rather than settlement. Like I said, Mm -hmm. in family law, it's common knowledge, at least out where I practiced in California, that a settlement is where both people are equally unhappy. And I cannot, literally, I cannot think of a worse result 
than both people <laughs> being unhappy. And settle, mm -hmm. settlement and compromise is another word. You know, it sort of conveys that I had to give up something or that I got yeah. forced into or I had to accept something. It's a really disempowering word. Resolution, on the other hand, to me, feels like something both people built together. And even in my highest conflict mediations, immediately using the words of resolving the issues rather than mm -hmm. settling or rather than compromising made a huge difference. So even if someone's dealing with a former spouse that is very high conflict, they can just be thinking to themselves, okay, we're having a conflict, we're having a problem. How am I going to resolve this? And that puts people into a, a positive action mode. Today's episode is sponsored by The Hill Law Firm, a collaborative divorce and mediation-focused practice. Johnson County divorce attorney Elizabeth Hill believes that compassion is critical, and that compassion is at the heart of all that she does for her clients through collaborative divorce and collaborative mediation. In the world of divorce, collaborative simply means non-adversarial. And while it is not for every couple, with the right set of personalities and purposes, this approach to divorce can empower a couple to come together without the court's involvement to establish a workable and more cost-effective resolution for both parties. The choice of an attorney, as always, is a personal decision that should not be made based on advertising alone. Starting Over Stronger Coaching recommends interviewing a few attorneys before making your selection. If you are in the Johnson County, Kansas area and you are seeking a collaborative or mediated divorce, I highly recommend making Elizabeth Hill one of those calls. Call Elizabeth Hill at 913 381 1500 or visit hilllawfirm.com. That's H I L L lawfirm.com. Please tell them you heard about them on Starting Over Stronger. Now back to the show. One of the concepts that I talk with my clients about uh, almost unfailing <laughs> with every client is uh, Bill Eddy's BIFF, B I F F, which is brief informative, friendly, and firm. And this isn't directly a language swap, but it's the same or similar concept because basically what you're trying to do is tone down the communication. And it works especially well when one of the parties is high conflict because it actually empowers the one that's trying to be more agreeable and get things done. And I guess kind of remove some of the power of the anger on the other side to just limit what you say and how you say it, be kind, be firm, but be just informative, take all the emotion out of it. Don't go into long, you know, explanations of things, just, you know, keep it simple, right? So it's really a similar concept. And the goal being the same to bring about more, more of a collaborative environment where we're trying to accomplish the same thing. And here's the most expedient way to get there. And I think that's good because even when you're angry and overwhelmed and you don't want to take the time to think about what you're saying and how you're saying it, you have a message or a need that you are trying to communicate. And what we're talking about today, whether you're talking about BIF or language swaps, is the fact that your words 
are either leading toward your goal and your need and your message, or they're leading away from it. And so why not do that thing that's going to move you toward what it is that you want, right? I agree with you, Annie, on every level and have to disclose that I have a big crush on Bill Eddy. I'm just a (laughs) conflict resolution fangirl. But what you said there that struck me the most is that why it's helpful is because it specifically, it helps the person using it. Mm -hmm. The BIF method and language swaps aren't necessarily primarily helpful because they change someone else's behavior. It's because they're tools that one can use oneself to create a sense of empowerment and calm and to feel as though we have some control over the situation and the dynamic. So while it tends to, the BIF method, language, they, they tend to actually help other people adapt their behavior. You're so right in that what they really do that's so powerful is they give us ways in situations we feel so overwhelmed by and so helpless sometimes to feel as though we do have a little bit of control. Yep, absolutely. So let's just jump in now and talk through some of the important language swaps that I thought of, and you probably have a whole lot more, and I want you to add as many as you'd like. Uh, Obviously, we've talked about X uh, being former instead, or, um, you know, if you're parenting together, you can just refer to them as your co-parent. Yes, I hear co-parent quite a bit. And I also hear people just refer to them as my, my child's parent, my child's other parent. Um, I don't hate soon to be X because I'm an efficiency person and the STBX, I like, mm-hmm. there's something about it, particularly yeah. in online forums when I'm asking questions about how I deal with my divorce. And yes, even someone like me, 15 years in the field and seven years divorce, I still need advice. So <laughs> I see soon to be yeah. X and I do like, I don't hate that. But then once you get through it, and you're, you're able to say, this is my former spouse, this is my co-parent, this is my children's mother, my children's father. That really conveys a level of respect, not just to them, but also about you. You are a former spouse. You are your child's parent. You are a co-parent. That's what's quite nice about it. It's one of my favorites and most important. But my other, I think maybe my my second favorite of just getting getting rid of all the the legal terminology is custody. I hate the word custody and I understand that we have to use it in our legal documents, right? In in California yeah. we have to say who has legal custody and who has physical custody. Mm-hmm. But to me it implies these two completely terrible things. One is criminals. We think of like a fugitive and then the fugitive is in custody. Um and the other is ownership over something. To have custody over something is to have ownership over it. So we're putting our children in this wordscape, if you will, where they're criminals that have to have power over them or where we have ownership and control over them. And either way, it really takes the focus out away from the autonomy of the child as their own being. 
And parents who begin with an understanding of the autonomy of the child as their own being are going to have so much better parenting relationship than parents who are seeing the child as something like a ball that one or the other can have it. It's in one's custody or the other. So I love getting rid of custody and using parenting instead. I know everyone's lawyers will, will have to use custody and I don't blame them for that. But in all conversations, I talk about this is just parenting. And parenting isn't something that you do half the time. For any of your listeners that that are parents, you do not send your child to the other parent's house and then stop parenting. You're, yeah. you're so worried about them. You're folding 18 million tiny <laughs> socks and you're fielding <laughs> calls from the, the school principal. Parenting conveys this active role that one is engaged in all the time. And I think that's a lot more accurate. Yeah, I agree. And you know, the thing you said about um, custody being like almost like ownership, the thing I think of whenever the word custody is mentioned, if I'm not in immediately talking about a divorce is police, because you hear that all the time in police custody, you know, and so it's kind of like, like you said, it's like you've got this ownership over that that person and control over them or something. And, you know, it reminded me too of, um, I've seen jokes about the fact that dads don't babysit. It's called parenting. <laughs> but you know what I'm talking about? Like, it, it, it's kind of the same concept and the opposite, you know, just let's make it more positive, you know? Absolutely. Focus on what it is you're there to do, parent. <laughs> And language swaps are so important, not just in divorce, but in all aspects of life, absolutely everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, I can tell you if we have time a little bit later, why I, I literally do not say no to my children. Yeah. I do not say no to them, but they're, they're so important everywhere. And that is a great, great example. Dads babysitting their kids to, it really disempowers them as yeah. a parent. And it really says the mom is the parent and you're on the sideline yeah. and parents don't, don't like that. And I understand it. So yeah. And with parents that are divorcing, instead of saying legal custody, I say decision-making because that's what it is. It's who has the right to make decisions about this child's health, education needs, Instead of saying physical custody, I will say a parenting plan, parenting schedule, parental responsibility, or even the child's schedule. And so that's referring to where the child's going to be at any given point. And so at no point do we have to focus on this child being a thing that is owned by one parent or the other, but both parents are actively involved all of the time with the decision-making, with the parenting. It's just really a matter of where this child is located or under whose primary responsibility the child falls at any given moment. for sure. Well, and just to back up a little bit, you know, you said soon to be X is okay for expediency. And, and I think a lot of people use it. And uh, whether it's former spouse or co-parents or soon to be X, it's all better than the conversation I had with my girlfriends when we were all going, I, I literally had five girlfriends all going through a divorce at the same time. And so we would get together and we would have these talks about, you know, different things. And, and it came up this one time we were talking about the names you know, that we call our soon to be exes. And some of them were just hilarious. And some were very negative and <laughs> things like Casanova and his <laughs> highness and my favorite, the great disappointment. 
<laughs> but you know, obviously none of that should actually be used outside of, you know, like wine night with the girls. <laughs> of course. And I think we need that. You needed yeah. that. I mean, how terrible to have five of you dealing with that life transition at once, but then also how lucky you were to have each other and to mm -hmm. see it playing out on five different screens. So you can yeah. take inspiration from each other. And we all have those moments where where we're we're talking about his highness, where mm -hmm. we're we're not all at our best a hundred percent of the time. And sometimes we need our girlfriends and a glass of Pinot Grigio and just <laughs> talk it out in terms that we wouldn't otherwise use. So that's yeah. that's all right too. I don't pressure anyone. <laughs> <laughs> you know, my children are young. They are, they're eight and 10 and they know pretty much every swear word um, because it's a combination of their dad and I both having a terrible vocabulary <laughs> and then also loving rap music. So they're eight and 10. They know every word, but they also know that there's a context for these words in music or there's a context when mommy drops a glass and breaks it, but that they don't <laughs> use those words outside the house. So even people, so they're so little, but they know we use different language in different places. And that's another important component of thinking about our language consciously and consciously engaging it. Not only is it okay to use different language with different people and in different situations, it's a tool and that's exactly how it should be deployed. Just like you're gonna wear a different outfit with your children having breakfast in the morning than you are to a meeting at work or than you are to a night out with your friends. Yeah, great, great example. It's, I think of it like salt and pepper. You need, you need a lot more salt than you do pepper. And so, you know, you want your salt to be the good stuff, the, the healthy words, the former instead of the X. But if you need to sprinkle in a little bit of pepper here and there. It's, it's your human. Okay. <laughs> My favorite of all of those fun names was Homewrecker Barbie. Oh, goodness. <laughs> I like to died when my friends said that, and I've used it so many times since, referring to the other woman, of course. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. I got called Barbie as an attorney once, uh, and... I, I, it, it, it cracked me up because I, I think that I was young and I was blonde and, um, and I thought, you know, Barbie's an astronaut. She's as president of the United States. She can roller <laughs> skate. That's not like, you know, not a bad, not a terrible thing. I'll take it. I'll use your word against you. Uh, <laughs> Those dimensions, you know, are just unachievable, right? <laughs> Have you ever seen that thing where it describes what what it would actually look like in on a human if we had the dimensions of a woman <laughs> of the yes. Barbie doll? Yeah. Absolutely. Scary. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, so some of the other things that I had written down were um, broken home. Oh, I hate that one. Yeah, I hate that too. Um, I liked two home family. What other ones do you have? For broken homes specifically, other than two home family, I will say a divorced family or a family living in two homes or my children have two homes. Mm -hmm. um, and I tell people that make an issue out of this, I will say, you know, our hearts get broken in divorce. Our homes do not get broken. And it's when you say this is a child who came from a broken home that conveys mm -hmm. such negativity and yeah. even victimhood. Um, as opposed to just the, the reality, which is my child has two homes. They have two parents. Mm -hmm. They have two homes. Many parents, 
children have essentially one household. It's just in two separate locations. If you're if you're lucky and you have a co-parent that will work with you like that. But, you know, even not um, broken home is when I really try to stay away from. And another one is parties. Yeah. Again, divorce is a lawsuit, even though we don't think of it that way. And so attorneys will refer to you as parties. But mm-hmm. as a mediator, I never use that word because parties makes us think of litigation, which immediately puts our mind into an acrimonial mindset. It's the power of language. We don't mean to do it. So I would just say, if I could, I would use people's names. So instead of the parties to the divorce, I would say Annie and Michael, or the husband and the wife, or even the participants to the mediation, or the mom and dad involved here. Yeah. And never, I usually would not suggest that someone refer to oneself as a party in a divorce process. You're a human and like, not, you're not just a party. Mm -hmm. that's something that's a that's a legal world word I have trouble with. And another legal word we touched on earlier, but that's settlement. I love the word word agreement, which sounds yeah. so much more empowered. And I love the word resolution. Yeah, and I hadn't heard resolution. And in fact, during my divorce, I kind of used settlement and agreement interchangeably and without even having the language swaps concept even in my mind at all, I remember having the feeling many times like um, I would say settlement and then I'd be like, oh, what else was that other word that I called it? I like that other word better. You know, like <laughs> I would, I was always kind of going back and forth between those two. And, and for a while it actually confused me because I thought maybe they were two different things. Right. <laughs> and then I yeah. would fin- finally realize we're talking about the same document in you know, the same thing. So yes. And in California, it's called a settlement agreement, which is even more confusing. So I hear you and I'm there with you for that. I love the word agreement because if you picture two people agreeing on something, I picture smiles, I picture handshakes, I I picture agreement being like the little balloon emoji. Uh, Whereas settlement compromise, those are, I picture them as somebody being forced into something less happy with something disempowered buy something. And if your friend comes out of their mediation session and they say, we settled versus we agreed, I think Mm -hmm. that you would have a different reaction. Like, oh, they settled. Like, that's good. Versus, oh, they agreed. Awesome. They reached an agreement. And so it really helps us, even within ourselves, I'm seeking an agreement, not seeking Mm -hmm. a settlement. It helps me be more active in dealing with conveying my own interests. And it helps me listen to the other person's interests more because I'm shooting for agreement. Yeah, absolutely. That's what mediation is all about. And, and furthermore, it's really both things. I mean, I've, I've heard it called the MSA, the marital settlement agreement. I've heard it called the PSA, the property settlement agreement, depending on the situations, I guess, in the in the case. But, you know, it is, obviously, I think there's a reality to the fact that hardly ever is there going to be a divorce situation where, everybody's happy with the outcome, right? I mean, you have to give and take a little. Absolutely. I I don't know that anyone comes out of it thinking, I'm so thrilled with every single aspect of this. Yeah. What what we want in mediation is a solution that each people or each person is equally comfortable with. Yeah. Are you comfortable with this? Can you live with this? Yeah. Again, not something that both of you are equally unhappy with. Um, but typically after mediating thousands and thousands of hours, what I would see is that people didn't actually expect 
to walk in with a list of 20 items and walk out with 20 boxes checked. They knew that there was going to be a little give and take because they had been in a marriage. Right. And a marriage, even one that breaks down, has a lot of give and take. So people are, they, you know, if they can think, okay, I, you know, I did have to give up some things when I was married. I have to give up some things as work, as, as a parent. I don't get everything I want in every situation. Right. It's totally reasonable to think, all right, like 80%, that's a win. I'll take it. Yeah. Right. And speaking of the marriage breaking down, I was thinking when you were talking about broken home that actually I think what's more broken is staying in a loveless, tension-filled, toxic relationship and continuing to expose your children to that for their entire growing up. That is a more honestly broken situation than choosing to divorce so that your children can have Uh, some exposure to uh, the opportunity anyway, to be exposed to healthy relationships that they can model later in life. Absolutely. And this is a reason why transitioning our language is so important. Because if we're telling parents, well, you're going to get divorced, and then your children are going to come from a broken home. That's like, oh my gosh, I don't want to do that to my children. I I don't want to break up their home. It puts this pressure on us to stay married when we do know the research is quite clear. Divorce is not what's bad for children. Parental conflict is what's bad for children. So conflict in the home is not a win by any means. When our language shifts so that most of us are referring to divorced families as divorced families or two, two home families, then someone's able to say, okay, our family's in one home. Now we're going to be in two homes. All of a sudden, there's more, I don't want to say permission to get divorced. I would say there's, it makes that choice easier because we're framing it in the reality of what it actually is and taking the pressure off ourselves to create a fantasy that we don't actually have. Yeah, it's just building more grace around it. That's a lovely way to say it. Yeah. Well, so lastly, uh, there was one comment on your LinkedIn post about this that you mentioned to someone how they had inspired you to think differently about trauma. Was there a language swap for that, for the word trauma? Ooh, it's more of a concept swap, but I'm happy to share it. Okay. Yeah, please. This came from Maria Natapov and her company is Pinnacle Parenting. I love the word pinnacle. She chose it specifically because it's, you know, just people at the top of their game. She's a parenting coach. That's something if your listeners are unfamiliar with it, where the parents will go just to understand their dynamic, to create a parenting plan and to work through any issues that are interfering with their ability to parent. So it's quite narrow. Mm -hmm. Um, So Maria talked in, in a conversation we had about trauma being a life of them where you will forever see things differently. Trauma is just an event that splits your life into a before and an after. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought that was so incredibly powerful because if I could say, okay, I was traumatized by, by my divorce, which is true. It's absolutely a trauma. Then I would think, well, that's me kind of creating victimhood right? Like I shouldn't have been traumatized. I came out with my, you know, a a home for my children to live in and I was alive and lots of people have worse divorces and I don't really deserve to be traumatized by it. 
But if I can look at it like, of course, I will forever see my life in this. It was before divorce versus after divorce. I got quite sick a couple of years ago, two years ago, and that was a trauma in the sense that I will always look at my life as before I got sick and after I got sick. So while trauma is something that's so important to recognize, also it makes it more acceptable to me at least to think of traumatic events as, yeah, okay, so we had life before that and we had life after that. And the trauma is just the thing that split your life into two pieces. So we can get now we're in the second part of life and now we deal with whatever we're dealing with in this second part of life. I'm not sure I'm conveying that well to you because I'm still thinking through the concept. No, you are. Yeah. No, I love it. I think it's great. It's perfect. And I think it, I I was thinking about my own situations and my own things that I would consider traumatic in my life. And I, I agree completely. I define a lot of things by before such and such happened and after that happened. And oftentimes, including just very recently, I went on a personal retreat and I had uh, spoken with a uh, therapist that I uh, was working with on the concept of being able to say, I wouldn't change a thing. And I had said to her that I have thought of this so many times. I've heard so many people tell their stories of divorce and, and just different traumatic things in their life and then say, I wouldn't change a thing. And I always think it's awesome, but I've never been able to say it. Honestly, I have it until very recently. And what shifted it for me was having these words said to me, my story is my strength. And all of a sudden, as soon as I heard those five words strung together, I realized maybe because of a lot of other things that were going on in my life too, but I realized that I can't want to change anything because if I did, I wouldn't be where I am and I wouldn't have the strength that I have. So I don't. I wouldn't change a thing. It was like this huge light bulb moment that um, it's actually a testimony that I'm going to give on a future podcast, but it was really, really enlightening because I've wanted to be able to say that for that very reason. I don't want to be looking at my trauma as something that makes me a victim. I want to have it be something that makes me empowered because I have learned and endured and grown and gotten strength from whatever it was that happened. So I love that. I love how you saw that happen with other people and you wanted it so much for yourself, but you couldn't want yourself into it. No, you had (laughs) to have that moment where there's that paradigm shift. And now you will see things in a different way. Always. Yeah, you will never go back to seeing them the way they were before. And how how lovely that is divorce in and of itself. I wish people saw just as more of It's a stage of life, one that not everyone experiences, just like everyone doesn't experience marriage or having a child. Divorce is a stage of life, and it's something that so many people go through. It's not the the end of a life. It's a doorway. I'm, I'm proud of you for getting to the other side. And I hope you tell me when that podcast airs, because I can't wait to hear it. Yeah. 
Sure. Well, I want to offer too that I think the reason language swaps are so vital is because of brain science. When we remove negative terms from our self-talk or other talk, we change the reality of what our bodies perceive as truth. Our brains in an uncomfortable way are naturally prone to believing whatever we tell them for long enough. And we have to change the way our situations look in our mind's eye before it's going to feel different anywhere else. And so someone can get divorced and keep talking like they're married. And in large part, they'll behave like a married person. And brain activities like motor imagery and, you know, things like that, what the neural networks that make changes in our lives are the same as those that just imagine change in our lives. I mean, what I'm trying to say is, you can imagine something and it actually happen. And all of the same things are lighting up on a brain scan. I'm not a doctor. So I'm making like, this is making this so much more difficult than if a doctor was here saying it, it would make sense. But no, seriously, you can you can imagine something and like visualize something and your brain will react the same way as if it's actually happening to you. And I think that's important because it affects this concept of language swaps because you're going to be saying things that you maybe don't feel you're doing it because you know you're supposed to or because you, you think it will so sound better or feel better, but it really will change the way your brain perceives. It, it all starts in your mind and your body catches up. There's a fantastic author and divorce coach, Carly Israel. Uh, she just wrote a book called Seconds and Inches about surviving an extraordinarily traumatic childhood in a very high conflict divorce and really uh, tragic personal difficulties. And what she said to me about co-parenting was, if it feels uncomfortable to go and sit next to someone at the basketball game, or if it feels uncomfortable to show up at the birthday party and smile and act friendly, just fake it. It's mm -hmm. not comfortable. Don't put the pressure on yourself to make it comfortable from the beginning. At some point, and you won't realize when, it will just become comfortable and that's going to be the person that you are. So I love that you point this out because maybe saying the word former spouse isn't going to come naturally to your listeners like it didn't to my clients, like it didn't to my boyfriend that I told you about until all of a sudden it does. And then you've made that new neural pathway. This is a reason divorce coaches are so crucial because, you know, otherwise we have the person going through the divorce interacting with their attorney and the attorney is saying parties, litigate, hearing, <laughs> orders, custody. And that's the only language that their brain is hearing. So going yeah. to a divorce coach and having somebody really provide an alternative language does make a huge impact for people, not just at the time, but over time. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I can't talk enough about language. My degree is an English degree in writing and communication. So it's that's why it resonated with me so much because I'm like, oh my gosh, there's so much power here. And I think the thing that it does is just give you the emotional distance that you need to be able to gain some control over wayward emotions. When you just use these words that you maybe don't even really believe or want to say right now, because you know, it will be good for you and for the situation. And then it just kind of gives you that emotional distance, the same as the Biff method does. And ultimately, any meaningful change we're ever going to make in our lives starts in our minds. So this is a really important concept to nail down. So are there any other important language swaps that you are thinking of? Or is there anything else you want to share in closing about the concept? 
it's universally globally applicable. There are incredible parenting language swaps and corporate language swaps. And women in particular tend to use particular language that they can swap out for more powerful language. So somewhere I love to go, do not hate me for this, you guys, (laughs) is TikTok. Um, (laughs) If you're interested in parenting language swaps or corporate language swaps or, or resume language swaps, you can just go on TikTok and search and you get these little 60 second videos where people say, hey, instead of saying this, stay this. And it's short and powerful and consumable. If you're me, you have to set a timer so that you don't lose your entire night to TikTok. <laughs> but, um, I, so go, if, if this concept interests you, go and find out more. Because the, the other thing that language swaps do is they really do help create insight. They help so much in understanding what you're significant other, your child, your boss, your employee is thinking when you're using language that's more conducive to conversation. I said I never say no to my children, which is essentially true, but it's we've banned that word in our household. So instead of saying, you know, they say, I want to go to the park, instead of me saying no, I say, I wish we could, but it's raining. Mm -hmm. Or if they're running down the stairs, instead of saying no running, I will say, walk downstairs, please. Or if somebody, one of them says, oh, this happened at recess, my my child, Bryn, will say, this happened at recess. And then Spence will say, no, Bryn, what happened was, and he'll jump in. And so instead, they use the word actually. Well, actually, Bryn. (laughs) Um, Or are we having pasta for dinner, I'll say, actually, we're just having a salad bar tonight. And just like the the softness of the word actually, instead of the word no, or using a different phrase with your child, rather than just saying stop, no, um, it creates such peace. So I think the only other thing I would say to people, and I'm preaching to the choir if you're an English major, is that language is such a powerful tool. It creates such insight, not just with oneself, but with one's life. So go explore it because there's a lot of fantastic language out there and you will change yourself when you change your language. Yeah, absolutely. And I totally agree with the no thing. It's funny when you say it that way. I don't tell my kids no because it's probably kind of like, you know, that gets people's attention, right? Because they're like, oh, you're a terrible parent. <laughs> but <laughs> um, but I, I actually, I'm trying to do the same thing. I can't claim to do it perfectly, but I have a two-year-old grandson. So imagine how many times a day I would have to say no if I was using that word. And it, so I'm always, I, I've always thought of it as just redirecting. So instead of telling him what not to do, I tell him what to do. Oh, and it's so, it's okay. First of all, congrats, because it's really difficult with a two-year-old, but <laughs> he's a good kid. It's empowering. And it's even, you know, I mean, they're into things all day long as a two-year-old. And so if you do rely <laughs> on the word no, you're saying no to that child literally hundreds of times per day. Yes. Instead of saying to that child, do something else that isn't safe. Let's move you here and just redirecting them in any way. So I I applaud you. (laughs) And how much fun that must be. That's amazing. It is. It's exhausting, but it's fun. And not using the word no makes it much more fun for me. So I I appreciate you bringing that up. (laughs) 
And thank you again for joining us and sharing a little of your story. And I think this insight is just remarkable. Uh, I think it's a concept we all need to apply in our lives. So thank you again for being here. Listeners, what a great idea, huh? It's so easy to just let things roll thoughtlessly off of our tongues. And so I hope that instead today, our conversation will inspire you to really think about the words that come out of your mouth, especially with regard to your divorce experience. Words are powerful. As always, if you need help as you divorce, please reach out, email me at Annie at startingoverstronger.com. I would love to personally introduce you to Erica if you'd like to get to know her as well. Until we meet again, remember there is help as you divorce and hope as you are starting over stronger. 